You're listening to Tazi Encounters on Faith FM and we're coming to you live from Hobart in Tasmania and we're coming right across Australia each weekday at 9am. You can hear what the Bible says about past, current and future events, learn how to study the Bible more effectively, get to know who God is, where we're here and where we're going, and experience personal encounters with Jesus. And I'm your host, Tabitha Zachariah, and today we have Daniel Mateo. Uh, Daniel is meant to be in the studio, but he is stuck. <laughs> there is bad traffic on um on the eastern um show. Is that somewhere <laughs> I think there's an accident or um, yeah, over the bridge, um, Tasman Bridge. So Daniel is not able, to, did not make it to the studio on time, but um, we able to connect in some way, which is great. And um, so, in case Daniel doesn't sound very clear, please bear with us. Welcome, mm. Daniel. Hi, Tabitha. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? Yeah, yeah, going well. Going well. Just parked here on the side of the road, and happy to talk to you today. Pity we didn't make it to, to see you in person today, but yeah, very happy that. The traffic besides me is starting to move now, but um, that's, uh, it's, it's okay on park now, so we're connected, and that's good. Yeah, yeah, it's good that we're connected. So it's um, it's a bit a wet day today, actually. Um, we're <laughs> starting to experience the rains, you know, the May <laughs> wet May. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But it's still not cold, though. That's uh, what I'm thanking God for. We've still got you know pretty nice weather, even though it's raining. You know, it's still a nice temperature. Has, uh, have you ever heard um, the saying, Tabitha, it's a good day for the ducks? Have you ever heard that one before? No, I haven't. I'm just hearing yeah, it for so the first time. <laughs> that's an Australian saying when someone says, how are you going today? Or how's your day? Or whatever. And it's raining, you say it's a good day for the ducks. Yeah. Oh, right. So today is a good day for the duck. <laughs> yeah. Right. right. Uh, so I remember last week we had your program recorded because you are going to Stormco. Um, did you want to share a bit about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That no, was so exciting. Um, Stormco or S-T-O-R-M um, company is uh, it's short for Service to Others Really Matters. And uh, it's an initiative of the Youth Department of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Australia. And what it entails is groups of teens, um, or I should say local churches organizing groups of ch- teens to travel to a community uh, to, uh, to run service for the community. So we uh, we took a group from we well, we had teams from Hobart, teams from Wynyard, teams from uh, um, teams from Penguin as well, and we uh, we got together. And we met in the community of Scottsdale, hmm. and uh, we ran a kids club uh, through the week in the morning all last week, and also in the afternoon we uh, we did service for things like gardening and and cleaning and things like that for, for some of our elderly residents up there. Hmm. And uh, yeah, so it was a great week. We finished up by running the church service at the Scottsdale Seventh Day Adventist Church in the in the morning on Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we all got in the got in the vehicles and came home. And we yeah, it was just a great time together. A wonderful opportunity to to watch the teens uh, grow in service and uh, and just the fulfilment that comes from living life for others rather than self. And so yeah, it was a really rewarding time. Yeah, it's such important values to impart in um, young kids, you know. And I think that's like the best time to sort of teach those values to kids so that they learn um to be of service you know the motto for my like high school where i went to high school our motto was um to serve is to reign 
it was in French. It was Savere est regnare. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correct, but um, it means to serve is to reign. And, you know, that was just sort of teaching us that it's very important to serve others and, you know, your community. Um, so just if you missed last week's um, program, uh, you can catch up through the Faith FM app or the Faith FM website. Um, that is faithfm.com.au. And also our show number is zero four double eight double eight zero eight nine one. You can text us any questions, any feedback, any comments um, that you may have, and we encourage you to also respond to the question that we're gonna ask you. So, uh, Daniel, what do you have? Did you want to just briefly talk about um, what you had for last week, and before we get into today's sharing? Yeah, no, wonderful. Well. We've been doing a series called Drawing from the Well because uh, I think it was Spurgeon that said that at the end of his life, after he'd published over a thousand service, uh, sermons, he said that I've not yet begun uh, to, to plunge the depths of Scripture. And so we're going into we're learning about different types of, um, I guess, roles that Scripture can play in our life and the and the depths of, of that. And last week we actually talked about the Bible as science. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the philosophical foundations and. Uh, um, Assumptions that, that arise from the Bible that mean that we can we can do science things like the intelligibility of the universe that points to a, a creator that we uh, can look around at the at the universe we can look around the world and see order and we can see law and we can see uh, beauty and creativity and, and all of these things uh, on the basis for our ability to to be able to, to do the scientific method well so we talked about that and, and some other things as well some of the some of the ideas um, about the universe and scripture that uh, that have been proved right by uh, scientific research over the over the millennia. Mm. Mm. And um, what was what is are you going to talk about today? Well, today we're, we're going to continue in a similar vein. We're going to talk about the Bible as archaeology. Yeah, so I'm excited about that, and mm. uh, yeah, I've always been interested in it, and yeah, so excited to share. Mm. I've always wanted to go to Israel. It's one. It's on my bucket list because I I know there's a lot of archaeological evidence there and um, Israel and Egypt. Mm. Yeah, so it's good to um, learn some of the archaeological evidence that has been discovered um, through today's program. Uh, did you want us to pray before you get started? That would be wonderful. Thank you. All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful day and we thank you that we are able to connect regardless of some unforeseeable um, events that have happened. And I pray that you be with us um, throughout this program, that our listeners will be able to hear Daniel um, as he shares your word and they will be blessed. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 So I remember when I was a young fellow, um, somebody gave me a book with a picture of Tutankhamun's uh, uh, mummy, or I should say his death mask, uh, his uh, sarcophagus, they say, on the front of it. And there's this picture of this beautiful um, golden mask uh, inset with blue blue stone and, and everything. And I was just absolutely fascinated by it. I've just And I just thought, man, when I grow up, I want to be an archaeologist. Mm. That's what I want to be. And I, I thought, I want, to, I want to learn about archaeology. I want to be able to dig these wonderful things out of the, out of the ground and, and learn about history. And all of that, and those things have always fascinated me. Now, I didn't end up pursuing archaeology, actually, but I'm still interested in it. Mm. And I'm very, very interested in biblical archaeology, which is which is a strain of archaeology that focuses on on the the descriptions of the narratives in Scripture in the Bible, and 
you know, the, the things that we find, as you said, in the Holy Lands uh, that, uh, I guess, show evidence that these stories really happened as recorded. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's so, so interesting. It's a, it's, it's a important part of, of study. And actually, I, uh, I was quite uh, amused to find that it wasn't long after I decided in myself that I was going to become an archaeologist. There was, a, there was an ad for yogurt that came on the TV. It was, must have been in the early 1990s. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it was a Yo Play ad, and there was a little boy on that ad, a little French boy, and he said, "When I grow up, I want to be an archaeologist." And I thought, "Hey, I want to be an archaeologist like that kid too." Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a little connection that I, that I had there. Me and my sister would laugh about that. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. but I guess um, as I've studied these things more and more, I've, I've learned that actually the majority of um, biblical archaeologists um, seem to find. Uh, well, they seem to draw kudos from the academic and scholarly community from actually undermining the Bible, from you know saying that they've found things that uh, that actually contradict the Bible, mm-hmm. and uh, and when they do so, the media will often jump on it and say, look, you know, so and so found this, um, and it and it seems to have disproved something the Bible said, and you know that becomes big news. But then later on, what often happens is that some further discovery is made, and that actually shows that the Bible was right all along. But the media never ever publishes those findings. It's, mm. it's only popular. It's only a popular finding. It seems when it contradicts when it seems to contradict the Bible. So That's we'll, quite we'll talk about. <laughs> well, it is, isn't it? Mm, yeah, because it is, people it? don't get to know because people rely on media for information. But then when they don't get told the whole truth, um, it's a bit unfair. <laughs> well, it is, and and it speaks to I guess you know, the ideological motivations of, um, of sometimes some of our some of our media outlets, you know, that they, they want to find problems with the Bible, but they don't want to mm-hmm. find support for it. And that that's also speaks to a desire within, I guess, all of human beings to, to reject um, God's will for our lives. And uh, and that's a problem. But look, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that today I can, we won't have a chance to go into very much, but at least what I can do is just introduce you to a few little areas of biblical archaeology. And, and if people want to research or Google or, or read further on them, I hope that it's fascinating for them, just as it is for me. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed. And uh, we'll dig, uh, we'll get right into that after the break. Um, our first song is Back to the Bible by Sweet Deliverance. Let's get back to the Bible. Let's get back to the truth. Oh, let's get back to the Bible. Oh, let's get back to the truth. Oh, let's get back. Oh, let's get back. Oh, let's get back. Oh, if we walk in light, as He is in the light, and do our best from day to day, we will be faithful to forgive our sins, and blessings will all flow our way. Promise the crown of glory, and on that promise I'll say, Oh, if we walk in light as He is in light, He will forgive this wretched man. Oh, let's get back, back to the Bible. Oh, let's get back, back to the truth. Oh, let's get back, back to the Bible. Oh, let's get back, back to the truth. So just love the Lord, use your Bible as your sword, and love your neighbor as yourself. When you feel weak and tired on your feet, don't be afraid. 
afraid to ask him for help. If you stumble, just kneel and be humble. Forgiveness you ask when you pray. No worries, no strife, get on with your life. Christians are perfect, just say, hey. Oh, let's get back, back to the Bible. Oh, let's get back, back to the truth. Oh, let's get back, back to the Bible. Oh, let's get back, back to the truth. That is Back to the Bible by Sweet Deliverance and you're listening to Thousand Counties. Oh, let's get back to the Bible. Oh, I missed that part. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize that this song uh, had not finished. Sorry about that. <laughs> Bear with me. And um, that was Sweet Back to the Bible by Sweet Deliverance. And you're listening to Taz Encounters with Daniel Mattel. And uh, Daniel is talking about um, the Bible as archaeology. And uh, we have a question for listeners. How important do you think archaeological evidence is to you in knowing whether or not the Bible is true? Do you think archaeological evidence is um, very important for you to actually believe in the Bible. Um, let us know on zero four double eight, um, double eight zero eight nine one, and uh, we'll be able to share your answer on air. Uh, we have a free book offer. It's called the Archaeological Book, Archaeology Book, and um, it talks about the wonders of creation series, and it's by David Down. I uh, will give you m- more information about that uh, a bit later on. Now, Daniel, you introduced us to this um, topic, uh, which is about archaeology, archaeology, and you said um, you have some evidence that has been discovered that you'd like to share with us. Um, do you want to do that? Yeah, sure, certainly. And I do love the study of archaeology. I really do, and particularly as it pertains to, um, to, to Scripture, and what we call biblical archaeology, and I love to read about it. And as I said in the last section, it's, it's often the case that there are 
um, discoveries that, that are made that are trumpeted that seem to contradict the Bible, but later on when discoveries are made that seem to support it, they tend not to be uh, widely publicized and uh, sort of slip. And, and so, so people get the impression that, that archaeology is firmly against the, the, the stories in the Bible when often, actually, the, you know, the wider body of knowledge supports uh, most of the stories. It's only in, in a few key details that things might, you know, might seem to contradict. And wh- one of those actually is from the story of Abraham. Now, I'm wondering if you could read for me, Tabitha, First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 23. Would that be okay? Yeah, sure. First Chronicles 16, 23. Mm-hmm. Um, that, I'm reading from the NIV, New International Version. I'm saying to the Lord, all the earth proclaim his salvation day after day. Is that the correct one? Oh, no, look, my, my mistake. It's Genesis twenty four forty six. Yeah, I'm sorry. I thought so. Mm-hmm. It's all right. Uh, Genesis twenty four forty six. She quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder and said, "Drink, and I'll water your camels too." So I drank, and she watered the camels also. Okay, awesome. Now that seems like a pretty obscure verse that I that I might get you to read, but I'm just wondering: Are, are you aware of the story that uh, that this is uh, this is describing the yeah. position? In the, yeah, the story of uh, Abraham. Yep, Abraham, and we've also got his son, whose name was Isaac, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, and his wife Rachel. So it's this, the story of how they they met and fell in love and all of that, and uh, so that's the story there. And what happens is that the Abraham's servant uh, embarks on a trip to find a uh, find a wife for for his master's son, and he's riding on camels. See that there? Mm-hmm. Now, that seems to be a, a, a bit of a strange detail for me to highlight, but it's important uh, because it's, it was, for the longest time that was said to be what's called an anachronism. Uh, what they, what um, a lot of scholars were saying was that, well, we haven't got any evidence that camels were ridden, camels were domesticated, camels were used to, you know, as, uh, as creatures to ride around on. Hmm. Uh, at, the, at that time in history, in archaeology in Israel, that, that people that lived in that region didn't use camels to ride on because we've got no evidence for it, you know, in archaeology. And so what that is, is it's, it's an anachronism. What it means is somebody wrote that story a long, long, long time later, and they didn't know that people had started using camels yet, and they wrote it in, but they were wrong. And so this is a reason why we can believe that the Bible isn't true. Well, the, the problem with that is that just because you haven't found evidence for something, it doesn't mean it didn't happen. You know, not everything that, uh, that happens in... Um, uh, in on all of history is necessarily written down or, or somebody draws a picture of it or whatever, or they could have done and you just haven't found it yet. You know, mm-hmm. obviously archaeology is hard to find in it. You know, you're finding you're trying to piece together fragmentary history of, of things from a long, long time ago. And often lots of records are destroyed and so forth. But what we do have is is a lot of evidence for very, very early domestication of camels all around the ancient Near East. And, you know, Egypt and, you know, all of all around, you know, Syria. Um, and just because we haven't found evidence in that particular point, and by the way, those those ancient people were very mobile. They were involved in trade, and and uh, they were involved in long distance travel to to communicate with other people groups, warfare, and conquering, and so forth. You know, it seems very reasonable to me that um, that it would have been very easy for someone that was maybe living in Israel to to go to another place and and say, hey, you know, oh, these guys are riding camels. I think that um, we should do that too. You know, so it's no. What I'm saying is that if you 
um, a lack of evidence isn't isn't necessarily an evidence of a lack. So that's just an example of that. But something that's even more interesting than that that I wanted to tell you about was the story of Methuselah the date palm. Mm-hmm. Now, um, d- now, obviously, you've heard of the biblical character Methuselah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have. Yeah, well, he's the old. He lives the he lived the most number of years, the oldest yeah. person who ever lived. You, that's right, a very, very old man. And the, but there is actually a tree in Israel today that is named after him. His name is Methuselah, and uh, he's a date palm, he's a male date palm, and he's named Methuselah because he's the oldest living. Uh, uh, Judean date palm. See, what happened was, um, during the time of, uh, of David and Solomon, there were these uh, widely reputed, beautiful uh, date palms all over the Holy Land, all over the Israelite region. And they would actually export. There's this um, record of, the, of uh, Solomon and others exporting these beautiful, big, plump Judean dates all over the ancient world that were very highly prized. And that the Judean date palm became a symbol of... Uh, of the, the Israelite kingdom. We've even got um, coins that have got pictures of this date palm on the back. The problem was that when the, um, when the Romans invaded and they, um, they took over the, you know, the, the region, they destroyed the, the, the temple and so forth, they actually cut down a lot of these trees and uh, used them for their fortifications and so forth. And actually the Judean date palm was, was completely extinct during that time and, and it was thought to be lost to history. And uh, an archaeologist was doing some excavation at one of Herod's palaces in Masada. And as he was doing some excavation, he found uh, two big urns full of uh, Judean date palm seeds. And, uh, and he, you know, obviously they're 2,000 years old, so they were, you know, pretty, you know, brittle and fell apart and whatever. Um, but he managed to find two that were still intact. And mm-hmm. so he put them in his pocket and he took them home and he put those two seeds into his drawer at home and then he left them there for about 10 years and then one day he was going through through some things and he found those two Judean date palm seeds, 2,000 year old seeds Mm -hmm. and he thought what what would happen if I planted them? I mean what would be the chance that they might grow? I mean it's a 2,000 year old seed of course it would be dead but he said "I'll, I'll give it a go so he put it in a pot put them both in a pot, one of them was dead the other one grew and uh, and it is growing today. Uh, yeah, you can you can Google a picture of it if you like. There's a fence around it to protect it because it's an old date palm. But mm-hmm. what they found by looking at this date palm is that it is actually a long lost cousin of the Egyptian date palm. And when they look through the archaeological record, they find that they're, they're sem- that obviously dates aren't aren't um, native to, to Israel. That uh, that they arrive in the archaeological record very suddenly and then suddenly spread all over the land. And it's almost as if Somebody has, or a large group of people, have taken a whole bunch of seeds from Egypt and brought them into the Holy Land and then planted them all at once. And uh, and in the archaeological record, that's what it appears to be. And so that actually is powerful evidence for what we call the narrative of the Exodus. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is that there was a bunch of people that were of um, you know Israeli descent there in Egypt as slaves, and then they, that God brought them with a powerful hand out of Egypt. And they, they must have taken a bunch of dates with them because they seem to have planted them once they got into the Holy Land. And these, these arrive in the, in, the, uh, in the archaeological record. And uh, we've got one left, one left still today. 
And uh, there's actually a little bit of evidence of, uh, of dates being there in the time of David in First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 23. That was the one I asked you to read before. Would you like to read that for, for me, please? Sure. Sing to the Lord all the earth, proclaim his salvation day after day. Is that the mm-hmm. one? Uh, maybe it's not, but anyway, mm-hmm. in the in the description of David's um, in the description of David's coronation, when David came to the throne, he gave a uh, he gave a gift of dates uh, to each of his um, uh, each of his servants, a big cake of dates, and so it seems like that this was something that the, that the Israelites did off, uh, soon after they were after they were um, they they came into the land. So yeah, a uh, very exciting sort of situation there that we can look at archaeology and observe the the accurate uh, transcription of, or the accurate record of, uh, of the Bible. Mm. Yeah, so another, another one, just before we go to break, is just, the, just the, F, the, the record of David himself and of his house. Could you read Second Kings 23, 11 for me, please? Mm, I've actually opened First Chronicles 6, verse 3, and it says, Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to eat Israelite men and women. Is that the right one? <laughs> Yeah, that seems to be the one. <laughs> All right. Okay. I will read Second <laughs> Kings 23, verse 11. Um, he removed the entrance to the temple of the Lord, the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun. Um, they were in the courts near the room of an official named Nathan Melech. Josiah then mm. burned the chariots dedicated to the sun. Okay. So tell me the name of that official right at the end. Nathan Melech. Yeah. Okay. So th- there is actually right there in the in the city of David an excavation there at the um, in in Jerusalem, uh, which is an excavation of David's palace and uh, and of his throne room. Uh, that there is a record. Uh, there was a there was a found that that official's seal. Um, that it, it has his name just as it's recorded there in the in the scripture. And uh, when when I say a seal, it was normal for an official to to carry a ring that had their, their name and their office on it, and when they signed their document, they would impress that into wax or clay, and uh, that was a way of um, showing that they had uh, they had signed that uh, that document. And, uh, yeah, so that, that official was found there, and this is the evidence that this, in fact, was a... Um, well, he was uh, he was serving under a different king, but this was a descendant of David that he was serving under, and that uh, that this really was the, the David's throne room. And what was interesting to me when I went inside this excavation is it actually has a portico that looks over um, a river uh, there in um, in, the, in the valley of um, of, uh, of Jehoshaphat, and uh, and you can look across at the Mount of Olives, you know, and you can look over around to the, and, and, and see the Temple Mount as well. But uh, but what's interesting is you can look down into a like a little stream, uh, or what used to be a stream in in those days. And, and it occurred to me that this may have been where King David went out to observe um, Bathsheba as she was bathing uh, all those years ago that led to that tragic story in, in David's history. So, yeah, um, you know, some, some evidence there that all of these different stories happened as recorded. Interesting, isn't it? Mm, it is. It is. <laughs> all right, we're going to go to our second break. But I just want to ask our listeners, um, do you think it's important to have archaeological evidence in order for you to actually believe in the Bible? Um, in, no, in order to actually feel like the Bible is is um, has the whole truth, uh, let us know on zero four double eight double eight zero eight nine one. Our next song is "Do You Really Know Me" by Carly Fletcher and Sandra Enterman.
picture that's been marred, distorted and defamed. The world can hardly see me, and I often get the blame. My name has been misused, given to things I'd never do. But the question remains: Do you? Do you really know me? Do you really understand how much I love you? And I will do everything I can to show you who I am. Have you sought me for yourself? Search for me, and you will find. That my arms are stretched so wide, full of love for you, my child. I long for you to be with me for all eternity. So the question remains: Do you really know me? Do you really know me? Do you? I will do everything I can to show you who I am. If you seek me, you'll find me. If you search with all your heart, like a treasure that's hidden in the dirt. If you seek me, you'll find me. I am waiting to. Says many things, but do you really know me? I came from heaven's throne and became a human man. I came to show you God and who I really am. I died for all to see. Just how much you mean to me. So the question remains: Do you really know me? Do you really know me? Do you really understand how much I love you? And I will do everything. I will. To show you who I am. This program is made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio. That was "Do You Really Know Me" by Carly Fletcher and Sandra Enterman, and um, that it's a beautiful song. It's sort of I'm asking if you need how much evidence do you actually need to um, accept Jesus? You know, if you 
need the archaeological evidence to actually believe that the Bible is true. You know, there's so much evidence out there that um, will show you that God exists and uh, how much love God has for us. And you're listening to Taz Encounters with um, Daniel Mateo. And Daniel is talking about um, the Bible as archaeology. And uh, he's been sharing some of archaeological evidence that has been discovered, um, including the Judean dates and um, Nathan Melek's seal. Um, and I just want to ask our listener questions. Do you think, do you feel like it's important to have archaeological evidence for you to actually feel like the Bible is true, for you to actually trust in the Bible? Do you need archaeological evidence? Um, let us know on 048 We'd like to hear from you. So share with us what you feel. Um, so, Daniel, now you've shared some of the archaeological evidence. Um, do you have any more to share with us? Hey, yeah, absolutely. And and this one is, is a very, very interesting um, piece of evidence because it speaks to one of the most amazing stories in, and one of the most unbelievable miracles in the history of Scripture and the narrative of Scripture. I'm wondering, could you read for me, please, Second Kings 19, 35 to 36? Would that be okay, please? Yeah, 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 sure. And all the verses, um, Scripture passages I'm reading from NIV, New International Version, um, so this was Second Kings nineteen thirty five to thirty six. Uh-huh. Um, that night the angel of the Lord went out and put to death a hundred and eighty five thousand in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So the senator, okay. oh sorry, go on. King sorry. of Assyria broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. Mm. Sorry to have interrupted. I um, yeah. Thank you for reading that. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay. So that seems like a bit of a uh, bit of bit of a strange little piece of history, and uh, it even seems a little bit morbid, right? But the the context of the story is that King Sennacherib of Assyria had begun a uh, a process of conquering the entire ancient Near East. You know, he'd gone just uh, he'd, con- he'd surround and, and besiege a city, and he'd wipe it out. He'd, you know, devastate the population, kill the king, and then he'd move on to the next one. And uh, and he was he was rampaging through the ancient world. And he got to Jerusalem. In actual fact, King Hezekiah had um, tried to tried to stop stop him by sending money and tribute and saying, "Please don't come here." But he kept coming. Uh, and in the end, there was a letter that was sent to Hezekiah that said, "Basically, we're going to come and destroy you. Might as well just give up." And uh, Hezekiah went in before the Lord and he into the temple and he laid the letter out and he prayed and he said god please i can't i can't defeat this guy you know i'm, I'm not strong enough i i'm asking that you please deliver us from being wiped out and uh the prophet isaiah came to hezekiah and said it's okay god's going to take care of it and then what you just read happened it says that the angel of the lord went out and that night and killed was it 186,000 185,000 185,000 mm. Assyrian soldiers. And as a, re- a result, King Sennacherib withdrew. He had to withdraw, withdraw. Of course, he had to withdraw. His entire army was wiped out in one night. And uh, and and that saved uh, the people of God uh, in that moment. You might think, wow, that is a really unbelievable story. But there's actually archaeological evidence that this took place as recorded. And we find it in Sennacherib's prison. You see, King Sennacherib, uh, he produced some tablets or prisms that recorded all of his exploits as a king and as a conqueror and uh, and he talks about this campaign 
But the thing is, obviously, he had to go home in disgrace and defeat, but he doesn't record that bit, which we would expect. We would expect that he wouldn't go, oh, yeah, and then I got defeated by the Israelites' God. Uh, he, w- he wouldn't want to record that because it would make him look um, uh, less, uh, what's the word, less glorious as a king. But he does leave a little bit of a hint uh, that it happened as recorded. Because in his prism, he, go- he talks about all the different kingdoms that he besieged and overtook. And he says, I besieged this guy and I destroyed him. And I besieged these guys and I, I destroyed them and I overtook them. And he talks them one after the other, one after the other. And he gets to Jerusalem and he says, I made them like a bird in a, cha- in a cage. I completely surrounded them. I made them like a bird in a cage. And then he doesn't, he doesn't say that he destroyed them. He doesn't, go, he, he doesn't complete the story. He just says, I surrounded them. And he doesn't, all the other kingdoms, he says that he, he wiped them out. You know, he, he defeated them, but he, uh, he gets to, to this particular one and he just says, I surrounded them. And we find out the reason why he didn't record that he destroyed them is because he didn't. He was, uh, the Bible record says that his, uh, his army was, uh, was, was destroyed and he was forced to retreat. And that's just, a, you know, taken by itself, you might think, oh, whatever. But when you put it together with the story in the scripture, it makes a lot of sense, you know. Hmm. So very interesting indeed. And it, and it just goes to show us that sometimes we don't have to fight our own battles. Sometimes we make our way through life trying to defend ourselves and stand up for our rights and everything. Sometimes we can place things in the Lord's hand and trust that he'll take care of us and fight for us. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, while we're, while we're talking about King Hezekiah, I want to tell you about a place that I've been personally, and uh, you can read about it in Second Kings chapter 20, verse 20. Would you like to read that, please? Sure. As for the other events of Hezekiah's reign, all his achievements and how he made the pool and the tunnel by which he brought water into the city, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Ju- Judah? Hmm. So it says of Hezekiah uh, that one of the things that he did during his reign, that he brought water into the city into a tunnel, uh, through a tunnel into a, uh, into a pool. Now, that, um, that, uh, that well, what's now known as Hezekiah's tunnel, that uh, water uh, sluice, uh, by which water comes from the Gihon Springs uh, down uh, into the Pool of Siloam uh, in Jerusalem. It's still there today. I've, I, there today. I've walked along it, actually. And, it, you know, to me, it seems like a bit of a marvel of engineering. It goes for about 500 metres. It, it goes through solid rock. It follows the curve of the mountain. And what's really interesting is these two, um, well, the situation was that Hezekiah knew Sennacherib was coming, and the Gihon Springs were outside the walls of uh, Jerusalem. Now, if you're about to be besieged, you don't want to have your water supply outside of your city walls. You want it inside. So they built walls around the Gihon Springs, and they figured out a way to, to tunnel under the ground, and, and they, uh, they were able to bring the water in inside the city gates. But what's amazing is that they're able to actually keep the gradient so slight um, in order to keep the water water running. But, uh, yeah, they started from two opposite ends, you know, in order to, because they knew the army was coming. So one, uh, you know, one team started at the Guy Hunt Springs and another team started at the, uh, at the, what's now the Pool of Siloam and they burrowed inwards and they met one another in the middle. Actually, they missed each other by, by a few meters. And if you, as you're going through the tunnel, there's a bit of a dog leg where the two tunnels kind of, uh, they, you know, they, were, they just missed each other and they had to connect. Up. But other than that, it's, it's just amazing the way that they were able to achieve it. I, I find it, um, you know, really fascinating. Yeah, hollowed out of solid rock. Mm-hmm. And so this shows that, you know, this guy Hezekiah was a real king, you know, and he really did these things. And these events really took place. And, uh, and this water still, and in fact, um, in the story of Jesus, he healed someone by the pool of Siloam, you know, so 
Yeah. Indeed. Um, also, just asking our listeners to let us know how important you feel um, you consider archaeological evidence to be in in order for you to believe in the Bible. Some people need evidence to actually, you know, you some people like you can't just talk about something. I need to actually say that it's true. Um, do you feel like that's the case with archaeological evidence when it comes to believing in the Bible? Um, let us know on zero four double eight. Double eight zero eight nine one, and our free book over it's for today. It's called Archaeological, the Archaeology Book, and it's talking about the Wonders of Creation series. And this book is written by David Down. Um, this book is developed with three educational levels in mind, and it takes you on an exciting exploration of history and ancient cultures. Um, there's a lot of um, information found in this book in including um, how archaeologists know what life was like in the past, why broken pottery can tell more than gold and treasure can, some of the difficulties in dating ancient artifacts, um, history of ancient cultures like Hittites, Babylonians, and Egyptians, the numerous archaeological finds that confirm Bible history, and so much more. Um, there's a lot of information on history in this book, and we'll give you the code to claim that book after the break. But for now, let's listen to this song, The Old Ragged Cross by Paul Brent. <laughs> On a hill far away Stood an old rugged cross The emblem of suffering and shame And I love that old cross where the dearest and best For a world of lost sinners was slain So I'll cherish the old rugged cross Till my truth and last I lay down I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown Yeah. 
program is made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio. That was um, Old Rugged Cross by um, the Isaacs and uh, Paul Brandt. And uh, that's, our song is talking about um, Jesus dying for us. And I, I believe one of the evidence that uh, Daniel is going to talk about is the evidence of the t- um, Jesus' tomb that has been discovered and uh, you're listening to Daniel, and Daniel has been talking about archaeology, the Bible as archaeology. And before we went for a break, I promised to give you the code to claim today's free book offer, which is called The Archaeology Book, and it's talking about the Wonders of Creation series, and it's by David Down. Um, so the code to claim that book is DRAW13. Um, so text draw one three. Don't put any space in between. Text to zero four double eight double eight zero eight nine one, and we'll be able to send this book to you. And uh, just be aware, it may take a few weeks to receive the book, and we only have three copies to give away. So we'll give to the first three people to text in draw one three to zero four double eight double eight zero eight nine one. Now, Daniel, I, you have shared some amazing archaeological evidence, including Hezekiah's tunnel, which is actually considered one of the greatest works of water engineering technology in the pre-classical period. Um, do you have any more evidence to share with us as we finish? Oh. Yeah, definitely. I mean, one of the one of the obscure stories of Jesus' life that a lot of people, if you don't, if you're not familiar with the Gospels, if you don't read the, the Bible regularly. You may not have even heard this story, but it's one of the most powerful ones that speaks to our response to Jesus. And it's found in Luke chapter four, verse sixteen and nineteen. We're going to we're going to jump through it and, and also read twenty eight to thirty. Um, just uh, not the whole thing, just just for the sake of uh, of radio. Would you like to read that for us, please? Sure. Um, yeah. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And rolling it, he found the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the other one is 28 to 30 yeah that's right yeah and verses 28 to 30 all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this they got up drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way now, this story is, um, it, as I said, it speaks to our response to Jesus. You know, Jesus really, he, he at the end of the day, he, he's one of us, you know, he's a human being. Um, but he also has something to share that's, that's beyond human, that's in fact divine. And when Jesus comes home 
uh, after going from town to town and getting some reputations as an itinerant preacher and prophet, he comes back home to the place where he grew up, uh, Nazareth. Mm. And he is invited to speak in the synagogue. He reads from the book of Isaiah. He reads about how the Messiah would come to set the captives free and to you know, preach delivery to the oppressed and so forth. And when he finishes all of that, there is a rejection that happens within their hearts towards him. When he talks about who he is, that uh, that they uh, they don't want to hear it, you know, that they they reject him. And as a result, they drag him to the top of what's now known as Mount Precipice uh, to, to cast him off. Now, if you go to the city of Nazareth today, uh, right below the foundations of the Church of the Annunciation, there is an excavation of a first century synagogue. Um, that was later used as a, by early Christians as a church, but it was a first century synagogue there in the town. This is the place where Jesus preached. Just a little way up the road within walking distance, you know, there's a nice little path up to the top of a hill where there is a very, very mean and jagged cliff that you could quite easily drag someone out of the synagogue and, and walk to the top of this little brow and then, and throw them off. And, you know, it's a, I was standing at the top of this, this, uh, this hill and looking down at the, at this cliff and understood that the, the rocks are, you know, quite jagged, that it would have been the sort of cliff you would throw somebody off and they perhaps wouldn't die, but they would be really badly mangled by the time they got to the bottom. And, uh, it wouldn't be a nice end. And this has something to say to us. What are we going to do when we're confronted by Jesus' message? See, this is what biblical archaeology is all about. At the end of the day, the, the Bible is, you know, these, stories in the Bible happened as recorded and there is we can go to another country and we can dig in the ground and we can find evidence that these things took place just as recorded. So if they're true, then what does that mean for me? And so often our response to Jesus is exactly that response that the that those um, residents of Nazareth had when he declared who he was and that we, we, we desire to, to drag him off and to throw him away so we don't have to think about his implications for our life. Hmm. But the, the fact is that if we go today to Jerusalem uh, and go there to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, uh, there was recently a little bit of work done by uh, by some archaeologists in in uh, concert with uh, with the authorities, the church authorities that uh, that administrate uh, that uh, that church. And uh, this is the traditional site of Jesus' death and resurrection, not not far within the same complex. And uh, and they they removed. Some of the slabbing that's been placed over the over the top of this uh, traditional site of Jesus' burial um, over the centuries, and they found underneath it all a first-century burial site. You know that this is this was a tomb. You know this was, it wasn't just a place that was invented. And they said this is where Jesus was. This was a first-century burial slab they found beneath all of it. And uh, this is a real this is a real place. This is a real thing. You know these stories aren't just fairy stories out there in the ether. This is a real these are real events, and um, and there's real evidence that they took place as recorded. And but what are we going to do with that? You know, how, what, how are we going to respond? What does that mean for us? Because if, if God is really active in the history of humanity, then that means He's really active in my life, and mm-hmm. that has something to say about what I do and how I treat my neighbour today. Yeah. Indeed. Um, yeah. yeah. I um just just to finish up if it's okay I, I just uh, we today we've, we've had a look at um, a fair few things we, we went through Abraham's camels and we looked at, uh, at the uh, Methuselah the date palm and 
talked about David's uh, David's home, the, the evidence there that we've got David's palace there in Jerusalem. We talked about Sennacherib's prism and how those that story in Second Kings really happened. We talked about Hezekiah's tunnel and Nazareth, and and we talked about the cross as well and the tomb. So I, I when I when I was going through college, I tell you when this really hit home for me. When I was going through college, the, the guy that wrote the book that is our, in our book offer today, his name was David Down. He at the time was um, the editor of a journal called Biblical, um, oh, Archaeological Digging. Sorry, it was a biblical archaeology uh, journal called Archaeological Digging. And he came around to, to do some lectures for, uh, lectures for us when we were doing uh, some Old Testament stuff. And he brought with him a bunch of relics uh, from the Holy Land. And I was trying to look at what he had there. And one of them was he had a big shipping container with a big, what looked like a big lump of mud, dried mud. And I thought, oh, what on earth is this? You know, what, why is this guy bringing this big lump of mud for us to look at? And and he said, this is one of the bricks that the Egyptian that the Israelite slaves made when they were slaves in Egypt. One of the mud bricks. And I looked a little closer, and I could see straw in it. You know, thousands of years old. One of these mud bricks that was made by by an Israelite slave uh, for their Egyptian masters. And, I, and you know what? Before, I wasn't very impressed with it, but now I knew what it was. I, I thought, this is the most amazing mud I've ever seen. And I look at this thing, and I was looking right in. I was taking pictures of it. And, and why? Because it has significance. Mm. Because this is something real and tangible that, uh, that, it, that shows that God really dealt with people the way that it's recorded, and it means that he wants to speak to me too. And I just want to say, Tabitha, and for all of our listeners, that he wants to speak to all of us, you mm. know, and that he really wants to interact with us the way that he interacts with those people in the Bible. Mm. Yeah, indeed, there's just so much evidence that actually proves the Bible is true and um, God exists and he loves us and uh, he wants us to be his children. Um, thank you for that, Paul, for sharing, Daniel, and I just hope our listeners were able to hear you clearly and they've been blessed with your wonderful message. And next week, um, Daniel will be talking about the Bible as medicine and um, yeah, just make sure you join us. Uh, because you'll have interesting information prepared for you. And tomorrow uh, we have David Maxwell and Jason Cook. Um, David will be talking about victory over sin. Uh, very important. Please don't miss out. And uh, we're going out with this song, Open My Eyes, by James David Carter. And just uh, to remind us, the code to claim today's book offer is DRAW13, text 488 copy left to give out. Enjoy the rest of your day wherever you are, and thank you for joining us. Shall be last, and our eyes.
eyes are open and we hear like never before. And we'll speak in new ways and we'll see God's face in places we never know. Open my heart, Lord. Help me to. Learn.